electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Deirdre Boza, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Friday morning, everyone. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Deirdre Boza, One Market and SF with Carl Quintanilla, who is back at the NYSE. Welcome back, Carl. We missed you. John is back next week. Today, the Nasdaq on pace to break a four-week win streak as stocks take a tumble. So is this the end of the bear market rally, or are investors just headed out early on a summer Friday? Then crypto is also down big. Ether and Bitcoin both crashing. We will have more on that sell-off. And then Ryan Cohen officially out of Bed Bath & Beyond. The stock now more than 60% off its 52-week high. We'll dive into the meme trade as we have been all week, Carl. Uh, yeah, what a week it's been, man. Uh, we're going to kick off today's feed with the markets, of course. NASDAQ may be up 18% over the last couple of months, but it's still more than 20% off the record high. Was this just another bear market rally that is now coming to an end? Joining us this morning, BMO Chief Investment Strategist Young Yu Ma joins us to talk about what uh, the weeks to come may bring, Young. It's great to have you. I wonder, we're going to get a lot of software names next week in terms of earnings. It does sound like that's one area where you think investors should stay focused. It is. We do like the software space. We think that plays into the mega trends that are ongoing amid the macro risks that still remain as we're seeing play out in the market today. So that is a space that does look more stable and is held up better than some of the other tech spaces. Yeah. Uh, software, cyber, cloud. Basically, your view is to stick with those areas. They've done better than most so far this year, but be wary of the consumer. Why? Well, you want to stick with what's outperformed. I think the market has been giving us a good signal. The consumer's weak. It looks like going to continue to be weak in terms of tech spending because there's just so much spending during the pandemic. But we're seeing the corporate budgets are really holding up pretty well. Corporations are using technology spending more as a strategic uh, approach rather than a, a cyclical approach. And that's really playing into those mega trends and helping to support them, uh, propping up the cloud computing sector. Uh, cybersecurity still looks really strong. To that point, Yang, even Cisco yesterday on the hardware side held up better than I think many had expected. Um, Chuck Robbins talked about surprising strength even in places like Europe, no weakening in demand. So what has changed this week? Um, Why is the Nasdaq, why is this rally, which was never really very loved in the first place, come to a halt? Well, first on on the point of Cisco, Cisco does play into a lot of those mega trends as well. So let's uh, keep that in mind, even though it is uh, there's a hardware focus, there's also a software component to Cisco. So uh, that is a very uh, strong name that does play into many of those mega trends. Uh, I think they're ongoing macro risks. When we look at the big picture, it's still the case that uh, interest rates are a concern. Uh, How tight the Fed is going to get is still a concern. And the market overall might have gotten a bit ahead of itself in terms of taking a dovish approach to the Fed's messaging. And I think we're seeing that play out today with interest rates jumping a bit, some concern about what's going to happen with the uh, Jackson Hole meetings and the messaging that might come out of that from the Fed. So overall, a more balanced approach, but uh, still something where a good amount of tech spending is holding up well. 
Right, and Jackson Hole is maybe uh, making the market a little more jittery about the Fed's trajectory, um, as you said, maybe gotten ahead of itself. What about the growth names that we have seen rebound over the last six to eight weeks? Um, what could propel them forward, or do you think that they are now sort of caught up in that macro picture, despite what Cisco said, um, that the earnings season for them is going to be tougher? I think in the near term, we are caught up in the macro picture. I think the focus is going to shift now that the earnings season is starting to wind down. The, the focus is going to shift to the Fed, to interest rates, to growth, uh, and it's going to be uh, dominate the headlines. So we're going to have to see how that plays out. And then once we get further into the next quarter and we start seeing how earnings are holding up, uh, that's going to start to uh, turn back to uh, how spending, uh, where spending is going, how it's holding up. But right now, the macro picture is looking to dominate for a while. As far as enterprise spending goes, you know, I did notice this morning uh, Thomas Barkin of the Richmond Fed said he was seeing some signs, some precautionary signs of softness in business investment. And I wonder if you think that could snowball eventually into IT and software, despite what you've said about sort of the, the disinflationary aspects of, of wanting to buy more of those products. It could it could filter into those areas, but we think that's probably the, the last stand because we do have three and a half percent unemployment. We have strong wage gains. Corporations really are seeing technology spending as increasingly important. And keep in mind that corporations have low leverage so that uh, although they might be cutting some CapEx budgets, uh, looking at looking at some bigger projects uh, that they might put on hold or put off for a while, Technology spending, we still think, has become much more strategic and taking a long-term focus. So there is some risk, but we think the risk is lower in the, in the spaces that play into these megatrends. Right. And to that point, um, people are looking back at the week and saying, OK, what were the highlights in terms of earnings? Cisco definitely is one of them. Other part, others pointed out that AMAT wasn't too bad, not just the beat uh, on uh, on the bottom line, gross margin, operating margin, but also uh, the quarter ahead guide above the street. I wonder what you think that says about the semi space. Well, AMAT does, did uh, report some strong numbers, a decent guide. But the challenge is that you have two of the biggest uh, customers cutting their uh, spending budget. So you have Intel and Micron both cutting their uh, uh, capital expenditures a good amount. And really, that's that's what points to some of that bifurcation in the tech space. The consumer side remains weak, and uh, there are some companies that are very he heavily levered to that. So that we really want to think of where those mega trends are. Even though a company like AMAT is very stable, should have a very strong long-term trajectory, in the near term, that weak consumer side is going to yeah. weigh on the market and weigh on certain names a bit. So, Young, what is the takeaway then? Uh, can we call this a bear market rally? What does that mean for investors for the rest of the year? Uh, I don't think we want to make a final determination. I think the market's going to be very data dependent here. It's going to depend on how inflation plays out, what the Fed's messaging is, and how high interest rates go. So I, I think we're in this kind of holding pattern to see how the data plays out. I do think we've probably seen the lows, but that doesn't mean uh, that the rally can continue nearly as strongly as it has into year end unless we continue to get good inflation numbers, uh, a Fed that has somewhat soft messaging going into the end of the year. So I think we're back into data dependent mode now that we've seen this big rally uh, off the lows. That's a good signpost uh, for where we are at the moment. Uh, Young Yuma, thanks so much. Good to see you. Our thanks.
Thank you. The Nasdaq down almost 2% today, but we also want to get to the plunge we're seeing in crypto this morning. As you can see, Ether and Bitcoin down nearly double digits. Bitcoin falling to its lowest level in more than three weeks. The pullback coming after a big run-up over the past two months. Ether up 50% during that time. Of course, so important to keep everything in perspective. Check out the year-to-date chart. Bitcoin and Ether nearly in lockstep. Losses coming in at more than 50% for both of them. Um, Carl, a lot of folks are searching for a reason. It doesn't seem to be that there is an immediate one. What I'm hearing, though, is that retail investors never really backed the rally in the first place. So it's more whales and institutions selling in this recent sell-off. Also that, you know, it's trading on the back of these macro concerns that we were just talking about and correlated to tech. However, it's been interesting over the last few months. Um, The moves to the upside have been much smaller than we've seen in tech stocks and the move to the downside now much bigger. Yeah, a lot of um, you know, people taking note of the price action sort of in search of a reason. The only thing that I saw last night, D, was some of the guidance, or not guidance, but the metrics out of Robinhood on equity trading down 33 year on year, options down 29, but crypto down 59. Right. So you're looking at severe year on year contractions in the volume of crypto that's trading, at least on Robinhood. Yeah. And it's certainly bringing down some of those other public crypto plays like MicroStrategy in today's session. Let's turn to Apple, though. A security flaw making headlines this morning, raising concerns over data privacy. But is this anything more than a routine patch? Joining us now to weigh in, Wall Street Journal senior personal tech columnist Joanna Stern. Joanna, good morning. It's great to have you with us and happy Friday, of course. Um, So, you know, Apple has always made security a key selling point. Whether this is a glitch or not, we've gotten an increasing amount of these, an increasing number of updates. Is that argument starting to wane a little bit, the bigger the market gets for them? I wouldn't say with this one. I don't think this one is one of those freak out moments. This does happen, as you said, from time to time. There is an exploit. There is a vulnerability in the operating system. Apple lets people know or a a security group lets people know and Apple patches it. And so that's the similar what we have now, though, as you've said, this has been growing and we are seeing impacts of that in the operating system. In fact, the next version of iOS, iOS 16, has sort of a lockdown mode, a hacker mode. So if you were to be hacked, that this 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 new uh, setting lets you just lock down your phone. So certainly continues to be a priority for Apple and they continue to have to be, be nimble with these hacks. Back in the 90s and 2000s, Joanna, um, it was Microsoft and there was constant hacks because it was such a big target. Um, (laughs) You used to have to download separate software. Can we leave all of this to Apple? You know, is this a different moment? Obviously, it has a bigger target on its back today. But do consumers need to look at additional security for their iPhones and devices? Yeah, I mean, I'm really hoping our iPhones don't start to get pop-ups that say we need to update our Norton antivirus for, you know, (laughs) in 90 days or our whole computer's not going to work. But no, I think there's going to be additional things that people have to do uh, with the the entrances of those vulnerabilities, where they're coming in, right? So some of these are now coming in through through phone, uh, through text messages. They're coming through malware. So it's it's about how those things, how the entry points make it to the phone and how, how, both app makers and Apple can get better and more defensive about letting them in or blocking them. As we're talking, Joanna, NASDAQ down a full 2% here as the Dow's down 300. We'll monitor uh, the market activity on this Friday. Again, big options expiration day. I am curious about your views on the uh, upcoming Apple launch event. You know, there's a spectrum of launch events in Apple's history. Some of them reveal big surprises. Some of them are more incremental. How do you think this one's going to rank? 
I think we're going to have a mix. There's a big difference, though, this year with the, the Apple event. And I will say it's very good news for stock for shareholders, uh, bad news for tech press. They seem to be Apple's expected to hold this event a week earlier than in years past. So it's looking at the we're, we're thinking the September 7th date is this year's launch or at least the announcement. Usually it's a week later. That's right after Labor Day. Not great news for tech press that have to get out there. Great news for shareholders, though, because it'll mean more sales in this quarter. Right. They will have now iPhones on store shelves earlier. And uh, what's expected is actually all four models to be out early this early in September. So um, not a, a staggered release like we've had in years past. Right. We're, working, we're looking at a chart of Apple's run up in the last uh, couple of months here. It really has been a general uh, in terms of uh, overall equity activity. And it, it takes me back to the middle part of the summer, Joanna, where we were severely worried about logistics and China production um, and Apple's ability to to weather that storm. I wonder, looking back the last quarter or two, uh, how many of those fears do you think were really well founded? I mean, the fact that they are now holding an event earlier, right, so they've been able to get their act together to get what we, again, think are four models of the iPhone, right, iPhone 14 models, two on the sort of the regular size, then the big size, then we get the pros and the, a regular size and the pro size, get that all out early in September, I think is a pretty big feat for them. They're not going to be delayed, it seems. I mean, we don't know enough about what that inventory is going to look like. But an early September launch for all of these phones is very impressive in this market. Yeah, well, that supply chain uh, genius that Tim Cook has. Maybe that'll make it possible. Joanna, stick with us. We want to get to Meta as well. Morgan Stanley cutting its price target to 225 from 280, citing declining engagement, lower monetization from reels. They do keep their overweight rating. Analysts writing, quote, our base case assumes Meta continues to take a measured approach to the pace at which they ramp reels ad load, uh, building and scaling effective ad units that deliver on new engagement formats that can take time. Um, Joanna, we, these issues have been well telegraphed. There's nothing really new. I was actually looking at this Needham note as well, and this kind of put it a little more brutally. They basically asked, with ad-driven stocks down sharply at current price levels, we recommend investors use Meta as a source of fund. So even if you, you know, buy into the argument that Meta is now a value stock, Wall Street is saying sell it because there's even more attractive out there, even at these low valuations. Yeah, and what was striking about that note, too, is just the, the mentions of the metaverse and how investors are just not sold on what Mark Zuckerberg is putting forth on that. And especially after this week, uh, this, this photo of Mark Zuckerberg in the metaverse, his avatar went viral, <laughs> right? And everyone on the Internet is joking about him. It's really wrecking on him because the graphics don't look good. But this has been a billion plus billion dollar investment by Meta in the metaverse. And investors are saying, yeah, but we can't wait till 2030 for to see that payoff, right? Look at where mm -hmm. they are right now. And so you have this collision, as you are saying, of reels and other types of ad, ad target or ad supported uh, products not hitting the mark right now, plus a pun, not pun intended. And then the investment that they're making into these future things, how's this company betting on it? And clearly people are not sold. Yeah. Even Tech Check had our own meme. I wonder if we can uh, bring that up on the metaverse image. Um, even though, okay, so a lot of folks are pointing to TikTok, right? But this note from Needham also says it's not just TikTok. It's actually Amazon and YouTube that are taking share from Meta as well. So this universe of competition, we talk a lot about TikTok, but it's, it's a lot bigger than that. It's a lot. It's time spent. It's where, pe where, where companies are spending ad dollars. It's where people are spending their time. 
it's ultimately that. And again, going back to the Reels thing, which is a direct competitor to TikTok, right? The, the, they, many of those Reels, just talk about it as a product, are pulled from TikTok. But the fact is, is that people are not spending as much time. And as this note notes, people are not, uh, the companies, it's not, it's not worth as much in terms of the ad spend. So they would rather people be spending more time in the feed, which is a, a better a buy for an ad for your ad dollars and for the ad payoff. But people aren't spending their time there either. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I, some of us are old enough to remember all of the crucibles that Meta, then Facebook, had to go through. Uh, I'm, we remember days, Joanna, where they were criticized for not being mobile enough, right? And, and they obviously stepped on the gas through the red light and proved a lot of people wrong. But I wonder if there's been, at least in their history, any historical parallel uh, as big a bet uh, as they're making right now on the long-term metaverse. I, was, I would bring up that mobile thing. We would think about back to uh, 2000, I mean, it was around 2010, 2011, uh, Facebook didn't even have a very good working mobile app, right? It was around that time Sheryl Sandberg steps in. She really builds up the uh, the mobile advertising business. And so really, that's that's what turned Facebook or Meta into what it is today. Um, whether we're going to see that play into some of these future places, it's a harder bet. TikTok, is, I, I think, is a, is a much harder uh, competitor than we had back then with um, you know, Snapchat or, or even Instagram, which they ultimately ended up buying. Speaking of Snap, Joanna, you broke the story that uh, that company is halting production of its $230 Pixie flying camera drone. Um, that product was first announced back in April. First, we had Snap's glasses. Now this, Joanna, um, the company has gone through great pains to let its consumers and investors know that it is a camera company. But is that getting harder to argue? Yeah, I think Evan Spiegel's realizing there's no time for toys. Really, I mean, this this was a toy, uh, and I, I had a lot of fun testing it. I think it is a fun product, um, but ultimately, Snap being in a similar place right now, even worse. Even thinking about, hey, we've got to get our core business together. We've got these issues on the ad side. We've seen the plummeting of that. Um, do we have time to be investing into hardware? Um, but as as a whole, I, I was a, I, I I hope that they can continue to improve in those areas. But as they think yeah. about where they are right now, this is this is not the time to play with toys. <laughs> They're fun toys. I will give them that, uh, Joanna. But whenever we talk to Evan Spiegel, he seems to not want to embrace the idea of the metaverse, which is reasonable. But this is a company that is quite strong and has been pioneering um, interesting features in AR and VR. Um, is it time for a snap to embrace the metaverse or whatever they want to call it more. Would that be sort of a positive brand refresh for them? Well, look, Snap is actually a leader right now in AR. When you look yeah. at their app and what some of the most popular features are, they are augmented reality features. They are filters that you can put on your face or put on your feet with shoes. I mean, they're very cool. And Evan, Evan Spiegel has talked about how they are moving in that direction, how that's actually an area of growth with partnering with companies. But uh, whether it needs to look like a metaverse type of thing, I don't really think so. I just think the question, all, and that kind of comes back to that hardware play, where are we going to end up in this augmented reality world, right? They are building glasses at, at Snap as well. But do people want to buy hardware through Snap? Is Snap going to continue just to be a platform, an app that runs on bigger augmented reality or what we might want to say virtual reality or metaverse type hardware platforms? Joanne, I wonder, you know, given their results the last couple of quarters, they've been fairly disastrous relative to other uh, tech earnings. If it's been uh, discouraging, you think, for advertisers 
who are having to sort of reevaluate the quality of their overall ad model? Well, specifically on Snap, you mean, Carl? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yes, though, and Snap has said, and, and you can look through their, their reports, where they have this captive user base. It's a younger user base, and they use the app over and over and over again, multiple times a day. So this is a captive audience, and that's appealing to advertisers, right? And it's appealing as they can use their Snap's tools, which are different in many places than what Meta provides, whether it be augmented reality, whether it be the mapping types of features they have to reach those audiences. And I think that's where Snap is actually more innovative than a Meta or um, really some of these other companies. Joanna, it's always great to get your insights. We'll talk to you again soon. Joanna Stern of The Wall Street Journal. Coming up after the break, Bed Bath & Beyond is plunging. Plus, is this the bottom for a PayPal? We'll discuss that as Tech Check is just getting started. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release. With Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. Let's get to Bed Bath this morning. Uh, that stock capping off a roller coaster of a week deep in the red today. Filing show that GameStop chair Ryan Cohen finished offloading his position in the meme stock. Should you expect the SEC to get involved? Former agency chair Jay Clayton offered his outlook earlier on Squawk Box. Take a listen. Anytime you have situations like this in a regulated industry, you're going to have uh, the people who are you know, the cops on the beat, as we say, look into this. Now, I'm sure that they'll look into it. How they look into it, that's going to be up to them. But I'm sure they will look at this um, both around the trading and around whether there was uh, uh, market activity with uh, material non-public information. Uh, Cohen bought more than 7 million shares in calls of Bed Bath earlier in the year. Company also added board members of Cohen's choosing. As you'll recall, pushed out former CEO Mark Tritton after RC Ventures revealed its stake. Uh, D, there's the whole price action and regulatory conversation. And then, then there's the fundamental conversation about what the company is going to do about addressing its dead load from here on out. Yeah, which, you know, a certain group of retail investors have never cared about the fundamental argument. I mean, even this morning on Wall Street Bets, the forum on Reddit, uh, you got people saying, hold on, you know, we've been through this before. We can do it again. Others, you know, quite pissed off at what's happened, what Ryan Cohen has done, <laughs> leaving them with the bag. But, you know, we, we've talked about this so much. It's been a wild week for the meme stocks, Carl. And what I'm left with with now shares, you know, almost at $10, did the company miss its chance to pull a playbook a la Adam Aaron, you know, raise money on the back of this momentum and potentially get in a better position for fundamentals, though. Um, it would be hard, hard to raise enough money to actually address uh, some of the, the decay that's happening in the company. 
Yeah, and as we've had, talked about a lot this morning, uh, structurally from here on out, maybe we're in a situation where the overall market can sort of withstand uh, ongoing meme activity in various uh, demographic parts of, uh, of stock trading, uh, and because and, it's clear they're not going away anytime soon. Still to come this morning, uh, Wells downgrading HPQ. Uh, the analyst behind that call is going to be with us when Tech Check returns in a moment. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa. Coming up this morning, calling the bottom on PayPal. Why one investor is doubling down on that name. But first, let's get a news update with Courtney Reagan. Morning, Court. Hi, good morning, Carl. Here is what's happening at this hour. General Motors will pay a quarterly dividend for the first time two and a half years. The automaker had suspended its dividend back in April 2020 when the COVID-19 pandemic was taking hold. GM will pay nine cents a share on September 15th to shareholders of record as of August 31st. It's also increasing its share buyback program. Well, the British parent of U.S. movie chain Regal Cinemas is preparing to file for bankruptcy, according to people familiar with the matter who spoke to The Wall Street Journal. Cineworld Group is evaluating options to improve its liquidity. It had said earlier this week that movie attendance has been lagging due to limited slates of popular films. It brought the Regal chain. It bought the Regal chain in 2018 for three point six billion dollars. And food delivery service DoorDash is reportedly ending a more than four-year partnership with Walmart. A source tells Insider that DoorDash no longer considered the partnership mutually beneficial. Walmart has been expanding its own delivery network known as Spark. The termination is effective next month, according to the report. Back over to you, dear John. We're going to be talking about that later, Courtney. We have managed to confirm as well from a source that uh, DoorDash did indeed end that partnership. Let's turn to PayPal for now, though. Our guest was a buyer amid a brutal first half for the stock. Now it is his portfolio's best performer over the past month, up around 25%. Joining us now, Wedgwood Partners CIO David Rolf. Uh, David, the growth complex as a whole, you say it's time to buy this, but I wonder, are you too late? Um, is, was it a bear market rally? And especially as we hit the end of earnings season, the focus seems to be much more on the macro and the Fed's trajectory. Yeah, there's a big mixture there. Again, I, in general, higher quality growth companies like uh, an environment where inflation's coming down, um, it's a slower growth environment, but... Um, when it comes to PayPal, it's it's very interesting. Everybody's talking about, is the Fed going to pivot next year and start to ease? Um, PayPal itself, during its conference call and its recent earnings release, had an incredible pivot. And uh, they've had a really tough go the previous two quarters. Revenue was fine. Profitability was awful. But the CEO, Schumann, he pivoted instead of a couple of magic phrases like, profitable growth and focus and cost discipline and capital return, and the shares haven't looked back. Right. And to me, that pivot was that focus on average revenue per user, right? Whereas sort of the right. old method was growth at any cost, just get as many users. Um, right. Has that message gone through to their competitors, however, um, with this slowdown? And then I know, you know, PayPal is so far ahead in terms of its users, especially Venmo, um, that they're in a position to capitalize the market. Didn't really like that at first. So is that really what's behind the recent rally? Well, well, 
the stock got hit so hard. I mean, we've been in the stock. We bought it a few months after it came, uh, was spun out of eBay in 2015. We looked pretty smart for a while there. We almost had a 10-bagger, and now we look like bums. We trimmed some, but we rode <laughs> a <laughs> We rode a far two position down, yeah. 70 75%. And then we slowly added to it in February. We added in March, uh, late April, early May. And so we rebuilt the position. I mean, this is a fabulous business. They have a huge head start, a huge brand name in, in the digital wallet. And uh, yeah, competitors are going to take note. But this idea now that they're going to focus more on, again, PayPal, Venmo, digital wallet, you know, online checkout, and again, in, in their great asset, Braintree, which is their platform for merchants. Um, let the competitors try to catch up. But I do agree with you. They had some open field running with this whole super app, giga app, and they were all over the place. But um, mm. if they can focus more, again, as you mentioned, on user profitability, that's a tailwind that we really like, and, and those have long legs. David, I don't hear you mentioning much about M&A or Elliott or Pinterest. I wonder if you think that whole parlor game has been talked out uh, too obvious, or was that ever part of your thesis back then? No, it was, Carl, wasn't part of the thesis at all. I think at a minimum, with Elliott's position, I think uh, the folks at Elliott will hold uh, Schulman's feet to the fire as he goes through this pivot and doesn't have any more uh, uh, grand ideas other than let's focus on what's the best of PayPal right now and get those margins back up, get return on capital, cash flow return on capital back above that 20 handle that historically that's where it's been. And so, uh, yeah, Elliott's position is small, they're influential, and they certainly have the CEO's ear. Yeah, are there marriages where you think they would make a good partner? You know, I've looked back and forth on the Pinterest. <laughs> marriages are tough. Uh, uh, if, again, if you can buy something, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if my wife's listening to this, but I mean, if, <laughs> if, if you can buy something cheap with a very expensive stock, great. If you can buy something cheap uh, with cash and it's accretive, great. But those are, those are two really big ifs. Um, you know, if, something, if they get a fat pitch, great. They got the cash, they generate a lot of cash, but I really like this new pivot and focus that they're talking about. I hope they execute well on it. The stock should be a good performer from here if they do. Okay. Execution is key, David, but that brings up one of the fundamental problems in my mind for PayPal is they've had so many users with Venmo, but they have not really been able to monetize it. What are they waiting for, especially when you look at a competitor like Square Cash has been much better able to do so? Um, does that raise questions about execution and whether, you know, Shulman can actually execute another pivot? Yeah, great question. Yeah, the Venmo's uh, volume growth has been great. Their user growth has been great. And now it's time to bring some money down to the bottom line. And that's going to be a significant challenge. Again, the idea that they are focused on that, time will tell. Um, I'll give Shulman the, the benefit of the doubt because net-net he has managed this, uh, this, uh, this business that arguably was just a fancy online ACH check swapping, cash swapping business into all these remarkable partnerships. I'll, I'll give Shulman the benefit of the doubt. And I also think that he's earned some chops for admitting that Maybe they were getting a little bit far flung and they needed to focus again. So uh, the jury's out on, on Venmo profitability. Yeah. But uh, let's see what develops over the next year or two. 
I mean, it, it has been a while. They've been talking about trying to monetize it. But, David, I want to get your take on your top pick. We just showed uh, what it was. It's meta. We talked earlier on in the show. Um, Wall Street getting increasingly, skept increasingly skeptical of this pivot that it's trying to achieve. What makes you so positive? Well, I wish they'd take a playbook out of Tim Cook at Apple and, um, and maybe just call all this money that they're spending R&D and wait to roll out some products that's going to capture some folks' imagination. Um, I wouldn't bet against Zuckerberg. Um, as, that, as, as that social media platform gets more and more involved with artificial intelligence in terms of trying to screen and, and make, and make uh, uh, ads more relevant, uh, more user-specific, if, if they can have success with Reels, and if they can perhaps put TikTok on the back burner, I think they're going to be very successful. I mean, the stock's trading at, at, at a level that is assuming that they're not going to be successful. What I found interesting is if you go back two quarters ago, it was all about TikTok. We got this incredible competitor, and we got to double down on our efforts. If you listen to the most recent quarter, the conference call, I don't even think they mentioned TikTok. So uh, <laughs> I, don't know if the, I don't know if the earlier quarter had to do with all the FTC lawyers, lawyers that are probably crawling around their campus right now or were earlier in the year. But uh, uh, I like the setup on Meta in that the stock is so cheap. It's not, not unlike what happened to PayPal. There's yeah. so much bad news embedded that this great franchise just needs a whiff of good news and back to the races we go. <laughs> well, I, I guess that's, that's what I wonder. They didn't mention TikTok as much because there is so much other negative stuff to get through. Um, but, David, you're right. I mean, in terms of its valuation, it has, has come down a lot, could represent value to some investors. David, well, thank you so much. Great to get your insights. Thank you so much for having me on. Happy weekend. You too. Thanks. Still to come this morning, Uber and Lyft up more than 20% in the last month. Can you still ride those names, though, after the downside reversal so far this week? We'll discuss. Stay with us. Tech and small caps are underperforming the broader markets today. NASDAQ down 2%. Here are some of the biggest losers on the NASDAQ 100. It's those high growth names that have led the rally over the past six weeks or so uh, that are giving up gains today. Okta, Lucid, Zscaler, Mercado Libre. Carl? Uh, yeah, ahead of some uh, big earnings next week out of software. Meantime, in gaming, with EA's Madden 23 dropping today, Cowan's out with a new note this morning, lowering their expectations for console video game software, reflecting, what else, some tough comps in Q2, some Forex headwinds, and bracing for delays in gaming releases through the second half of the year. The call coming after Deutsche downgrades Take-Two to hold, cuts their target earlier in the week, predicting the company's content pipeline will not start contributing until next year. A lot of interesting cross-currents in gaming, D. Yeah, a lot of softness, as we heard from a lot of the gamers uh, over the past earnings season. As we had to break, though, check out sharesofbill.com. This is a stock that is surging today after the back office software provider gave upbeat guidance. A rare one in the green, up nearly 15%. Tech Check is back in a moment. We mentioned the growth names under pressure today. Check out shares of DoorDash. They are dropping some 5%. The company confirming that it is ending its partnership with Walmart, the biggest grocery retailer in the U.S. next month. Now, competition in the delivery space has been intensifying, which could be changing the balance of power for retailers. So DoorDash's decision to end this partnership, Carl, that could be Tony Hsu's way of focusing on profitability. DoorDash has been sitting out the reopening rally this summer. Other gig names like Uber, Lyft, Grab, they have surged over 35 
25% since mid-July as people head out, travel again. However, this week, they have been under pressure, uh, losing those gains. Uber, Grab falling over 11%. Lyft dropping some 14%. Um, When it comes to this partnership um, between DoorDash and Walmart, Carl, the competition has just been so much more intense, especially since Uber pushed into this space. Does raise some questions uh, for Instacart and its IPO when it finally does go, because when these contracts were coming up years ago, there wasn't quite as much competition. Um, they were probably more worth it for the deliverers. Walmart, meantime, also building, as Courtney mentioned, its own network capacity. Yeah, and now we got Tony Hsu going to be on the new season of Shark Tank, so maybe he'll expand a little bit on what strategy is over at Dash. That's pretty interesting. Also, I want to get a check on that. That's one to watch. Yeah, season 14. uh, Tony and Gwyneth Paltrow. That's going to be one to watch. Let's get a check on Wayfair this morning. The e-commerce furniture company is cutting nearly 900 jobs as it looks to rein in costs. Shares down about 17% at the open this morning and have been cut more than half so far this year. You can read more about that on CNBC.com. Dow's down 263. Stay with us. Shares of HP Inc. in the red this morning. Wells takes the stock to underweight. They predict shares to underperform through the rest of the year and into 2023 thanks to deteriorating PC demand and some macro sensitivity. Joining us this morning is the analyst behind that call, Aaron Rakers. Uh, Aaron, it's great to have you. You do you do point out PC demand. You talk about share repurchases. You talk about Dell as perhaps a more nimble competitor on supply chain. Is there one overarching reason for the for the call? Yeah, I think it's, it's predominant. First of all, thanks for having me. I think it's predominantly a PC call. We, we've continued to see weakness in PCs. You've got preliminary numbers out uh, for HP that show north of 25% year-over-year declines in their shipments. Uh, and you've still got a situation where, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out what post-COVID normalization of PCs look like. So, you know, I think it's that. It's also coupled with the fact that there historically has been some uh, sensitivity to macro slowing. Uh, on the print side, in past recessions, we've seen anywhere from 15 to 20 percent declines uh, in print revenue. And, and so it's a combination of those, but it's, re- it's really probably more weighted to the weakness that we continue to see in PCs. That's interesting because th- the, the landscape of PC demand has been telegraphed for a while now, uh, but you're arguing there are, there are signs that it, is, it does continue to at least accelerate or, or extend. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you know, when you look at some of the semiconductor data points that we've seen come out of earnings, you've seen anywhere from 25 to 30 percent declines on on volume shipments from Intel and AMD combined. Uh, You've seen, you know, shipments of data coming out of Taiwan in the supply chain uh, that continue to decelerate in July and even into August. Uh, and, And so we've seen those data points continue to add up. I think also specific to HP, uh, I think their, their mixed benefits uh, might start to slow down uh, as, as we move forward, and that, that's been clearly a positive driver for uh, their overall increased uh, pricing uh, in PCs as well. It's focused, but Chuck Robbins was very optimistic on the quarter and the rest of the year when he spoke to us yesterday. Um, do you think that um, enterprise fears over demand slowing substantially. They were overblown. Is there any read-through for the consumer portion? Yeah, I think consumers definitely still, you know, much weaker. And, and, you know, I would say that, you know, Chuck's commentary is probably more, as we outlined in our detailed note, uh, more of a derivative call for somebody like Adele uh, on the server storage side, some of the, the, the hardware names on, in storage like NetApp and, 
and pure storage, et cetera. Um, you know, I think what we're really looking at at HP is while they've increased their commercial business, there's still a lot of consumer exposure, uh, which we're not just, you know, we're, we continue to see, you know, signs of uh, further deterioration. As far as where, I mean, if we're in this downward cycle, um, what's the point at which we've reached enough time between uh, the last peak where you would begin to see some new ref- efforts at refreshing equipment, at least on the consumer side? Yeah, so I, I think that, you know, a lot of the forecasts out there continue to, to show possible declines on unit volumes and PCs uh, into 2023. Um, so I think, you know, the compares start to look a little bit easier as we move into the back part of calendar 23 at this point. Uh, so we're really looking at, you know, late 23 into 24, where we think maybe we could start to see some stabilization on PCs. You know, I do believe post-COVID PC volumes will be higher uh, than pre-COVID levels. Uh, but but just not at the, the same pace that we saw, obviously, throughout 2021 uh, uh, and the latter part of 2020. Yeah. Oh, well, that tied. Uh, everybody understands what happened with demand in that period, how crazy that was. Aaron, fascinating call. Uh, we'll watch it in the months to come. Thank you. Aaron Raker is over at Wells today. And if you missed part of the show, do not forget to follow and subscribe to our podcast. You can listen anytime, anywhere, over the weekend maybe, wherever you download podcasts. Tech Check is back in just a moment. Tech is underperforming the broader markets to end the week. The Nasdaq on pace for losses this week of about 2.5%. And, Carl, that would break that four-week winning streak, that uh, pretty big rally we've seen in a lot of the growth names, too, over the last six to eight weeks. Yeah, being unwound just a little bit today. Meantime, uh, what happens when you take two former bankers and channel their experiences into a television series? Enter HBO's buzzy hit finance drama Industry, which is set in London and centered around the perspective of some young professionals navigating the high-stakes world of finance. For this episode of Binge, we got the chance to chat with Industry's co-creators, the EPs and best friends, Mickey Down and Conrad Kay, as the show enters its sophomore season. We talked about their transition from banking to Hollywood and the future of streaming and content budgets. I'm curious to know you you guys, your overall view of the streaming environment and the content environment. What ambitions do you have going forward and where do you see sort of the landscape uh, being the richest right now? given that we're in this period of uncertainty on content budgets and all the rest. Yeah, we feel incredibly privileged that we were able to make this show. Um, we're able to make the show of HBO, which is the best place we could have made it. They, they've allowed us to make a, a fairly esoteric um, banking show with no IP, with a young, amazingly good young cast, but slightly unknown young cast, written by two former bankers who've never done it before. You look at somewhere like Netflix and, and their kind of their growth trajectory and how it's like, you know inevitably slowing down. There won't be as many blank checks written in the TV industry anymore. These massive packages that two years ago were getting bought without people blinking are now increasingly you know getting passed on. So I don't know whether that signals some kind of contraction in the business. I have no idea. I do feel like we entered it at just the right time. In in terms of, of getting something like this. You can watch the entire interview with Mickey and Conrad on CNBC.com slash binge starting right now. And for the full uncut conversation, you can join us on Twitter or YouTube after the show for a special live stream <laughs> that's happening at 1245 Eastern time today. Dee, I don't know if you watch the show, but they nail both the tone and the jargon that is used on trading desks. You don't need to understand the language, but it's a lot better if you do. <laughs> 
I love the show. There's not a lot of series that I can get behind these days, but industry is one I'm, I'm really looking forward to the current season, which I have to catch up on. Um, you know, it's also so refreshing to get a series that isn't Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones remakes um, or prequels, whatever it is, um, that are just such big budgets, kind of easy wins. Um, quiet hits like an industry is just so valuable. And I wonder, uh, Carl, do they always want to go with HBO Max? Did you ask them if they pitched this to Netflix and they passed? I, I can't really imagine still Netflix making this kind of show. Yeah, it really wasn't a project that they needed to go out and sell. They were already working for a production company. Uh, one of the leaders said, hey, I heard you guys worked on Wall Street once. You ever thought about doing a show about that? And it really just spun out from there. So an incredible success story uh, for Mickey yeah. and Conrad. Uh, it's, it'd be curious uh, to get your reaction to their background. By the way, guys, uh, one, one last thing, and that is Meta, an executive leaving to go work on the Metaverse. Steve Park, longtime director of public policy for South Korea and Japan at Facebook, leaving to join Roblox as they look to expand in Asia. He was there at Meta for eight years, worked on Oculus D. Interesting uh, little bit of stealing going on yeah. as that landscape remains rich for the future. That's where they're spending money, I suppose, right, on, on labor. I mean, you're getting rid of some, but Metaverse is going to attract top dollar for now. Yeah. Uh, meantime, in terms of the big names reporting next week, we're going to get Salesforce, Zoom, NVIDIA, Marvell, Intuit, Workday, Splunk. So it's going to be very busy. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.